Oh, God. You guys are so nice. It wasn't that long. I did have a rough January, though. But I'm healthy. I'm back. Hallelujah. I'm still alive. I'm not dead yet. Okay, so for totally carnal, petty, jealous, envious reasons, I really want the Patriots to get slaughtered today. All right, what about you? Yeah. God bless you, New Englanders. We love you. But uh, it's just, it's not fair. They've won like five times, right? Super Bowl five times. We've lost four times. Yeah, this is, this, there's no justice in this world. And at least the Eagles, uh, you know, they know what it's like to be losers. Uh, they're also one of those almost teams. And so, I, let, go Eagles. Okay, let's have a brawl here. So we're in this uh, relationship series, and we've been using this move metaphor throughout this whole thing. And so uh, today we're talking, uh, as, as Tori said, we're talking about moving inward, looking at ourselves uh, in situations of conflict. Here's what it says in Hosea, chapter 4. The Lord, there's this judgment coming on, on uh, Israel, and uh, Yahweh says, But don't look for anyone to blame, no finger-pointing. You, priest, are the one in the dock. So God's holding this priest accountable. He says, I don't want you trying to deflect blame on somebody else. And that just illustrates what seems to be kind of a universal uh, trait of fallen humanity. Uh, We're very quick to excuse ourselves and to blame others. It's almost like an instinctive reaction. Uh, When we're accused of something, when someone disagrees with us about something that's important... Uh, we tend to get angry and defensive and accusatory. In fact, this world is just filled with this. Have you noticed? Uh, everyone's blaming everybody and accusing everybody, and we care about the truth, but you don't, and you're trying to conceal, and you're trying to divert, and, you're, and, and there's all this accusation. The world's an angry place. Have you noticed? It's an angry place. And uh, why is that? I, I think if aliens came down to Earth to study human beings, the first conclusion they'd come to is that this species is really angry and judgmental. Especially if they were watching cable news as part of their study. An angry, judgmental species. And why is it? Why, why does it have to be like that? Why are we so emotionally invested in being right and looking innocent? Uh, why can't we just discuss facts and sit down and... and uh, there's going to be disagreements. That's normal. Disagreements are part of life. Everyone sees things from a different perspective. But why can't we... Just calmly discuss the differences uh, and, 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 and together search for the truth. Why is that so difficult? Why does all this emotion get involved in it? Maybe this uh, story will land with some of you and illustrate something. Let's take a, a, a middle-aged married couple. I'll call them Kendra and Elroy. Kendra and Elroy. And um, they've got a beautiful seven-year-old daughter named Devorah. And uh, she's in gymnastics. So here's the thing. Uh, Elroy gets a call from his buddy Bob in the middle of the week. And, and Bob says, hey, I got some extra tickets to the Gophers game this Saturday. The basketball team, they're playing Kentucky. You want to come? Now, Elroy loves basketball. And he almost graduated from the University of Minnesota. And he played basketball there. So he's all excited. He goes, oh, yeah, for sure. Let's go to the game. So he goes home and tells his lovely wife, Kendra, that he's got it now. He's able to go to this basketball game Saturday afternoon. And now the fun begins because Kendra says, oh, no, you're not. Uh, you had promised, Devorah, that you'd be at her gymnastics meet. And if you go to that basketball game and break your promise to Devorah, well, you're just saying that basketball is more important to you than, than your own daughter. Elroy doesn't like this a bit, and he's starting to get kind of huffy-puffy about things. He goes, it doesn't mean that at all. 
And I didn't promise I was going to go to the game. I said, I think I can make it to the game. There's a world of difference between I promise to, to go to your meet and, 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 uh, and on the one hand and, and saying that I think I can make it to your meet on the other hand. And besides, I've been to almost all of her uh, gymnastics meets, but I hardly ever get a chance to go to the Gophers games. I go to those gymnastics meets even though, being a seven-year-old, it's compulsory gymnastics. You gotta, it's excruciating. It's boring. Uh, every, 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 every kid has to do the same routine to the exact same music. And if you have children in compulsory gymnastics or grandchildren, God bless them, they're adorable, but isn't it four hours they play the same song and they have to do the same routines, you know exactly what they're going to do. And from a non-gymnast perspective, it looks like they're all doing the exact same thing. I don't even get why they get different points for stuff. So we can empathize with Elroy. It is really painful to go to these things. God bless them, they're lovely. But So Elroy is saying, I go to those even though they're excruciatingly boring. And she says, Kendra says, that is, that's a bunch of lies. You've only been to two of her meets. And even when you're there, you're not really there because you're on your phone checking out the sports, or this game's going on, or this news is breaking, or whatever. In fact, even when you're at home, you're like that. You're hardly even here. You, you're here physically, but you're not here. You're, you're tuned into sports. You're always looking at the TV or the internet or whatever. You're not really here. Now, Elroy's getting really ticked off. He goes, Boulder Dash, that is just, that, that's just... You're, if anything, you're the one who's not really here. You're on Facebook all the time or on Twitter or Chatter or Witter or Titter or whatever. Yeah, you, you, you're plugging into everyone else's business. You're not really present here. And now, oh, Kendra's really, uh, she's just fuming. Uh, she's like, oh, that is a bunch of poppycock poop. And you don't know much, Elroy, but you know that. That is just poppycock poop. Elroy says, oh, so I don't know much. Oh, here we go again. I'm sorry I didn't actually graduate from the U of M. I don't have a degree. You got a master's degree. You had to marry down. Sorry, you, you had to you'd marry a dim-witted husband. But you know what? This poppycock poop dumb husband is going to go to that game. At which point, Kendra's about ready to pick up a plate and throw it. Does that sound remotely familiar to anybody? Have you ever been involved in anything like that? It starts off one thing and it just grows and grows and grows and grows and grows. Why does it have to be like that? Why couldn't Kendra and Elroy... Just talk about the, the difference uh, calmly. Um, you know, there are a lot of factual questions here that need to be settled. Is it the case that, that, that Elroy promised to be at the gymnastics meet? Or did he simply say, I think I can make it? I would think that two rational adults uh, could get together. If, if they cared more about truth than being right, there would be a way of resolving this. Is it, is it uh, the case that uh, Elroy's only been to two gymnastics meets? Or, or has he been to most of them? That's a factual question. Let's together search for the truth. Uh, why can't they do that? Is it the case that Elroy spends an inordinate amount of time, both at the meets and at home, being on the internet and looking at sports and, and all of that? Or is it the case that Kendra spends an inordinate amount of time on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and everything else? Or maybe they both suck as parents and both suck as spouses, and both of them are on the internet all the time. Uh, but it's a factual question. If they cared more about truth than being right, they could, they could find this out. Why, well, just have a journal, keep a log for a month. And every time you get on the, on the internet or TV, just write it down. And then at the end, evaluate. Is that an inordinate amount of time, or is this normal? Or are, are we good, or are we, do we suck at parents and spouses? Why can't they do that? Why do our disagreements have to get nasty? Uh, imagine a world where that didn't happen, if you can. Imagine a world where people, everyone just cared more about truth than being right or being innocent. We, we just want to know the facts. A world where, where, you know, people, you didn't gain anything by being right, and you didn't lose anything by being wrong. It was just a, a question of, of what the facts are. In this world, you know, you would take accusations or allegations against you, and you'd, you'd evaluate them as objectively as you would 
any other kind of fact. How far is the earth from the sun? Well, that's interesting. Let's find this out. And, and so if a boss comes and, and says to you, you know, because of you, we lost this important client and, and you cost the company thousands of dollars, you wouldn't get a huffy puffy defensive or anything like that. You'd, you'd, you'd say, well, is that so? Is that so? Um, and, and, and you would have this, you'd evaluate that the same way you'd look into the question of how many planes fly in and out on, of Minneapolis airport on a Sunday afternoon. It'd be just calm and disinterested. It's a question of fact. In this world, if you can imagine this, Congress would only be concerned about truth. <laughs> imagine, though, if Democrats and Republicans could, you know, they disagree on, on, on things. It, what if they liked each other and came together and, and, and just said, let's find out the facts here about, about you know, Trump and about the FBI and Mueller, and, and let's investigate this. And they all just cared about truth. What, what if they didn't have any other ulterior motives? They weren't concerned about the, you know, getting reelected or their party or blah, 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 blah. Um, and they say, I bet they could discover a lot of truth if they just worked together and found this out. Why don't we have that kind of world? Why is our world so huffy-puffy? Why, we, we all, it's like we have built-in defense lawyers and, and prosecuting attorneys that just get activated when we get into some kind of disagreement. Why is that? Now, there, there's an explanation. There's a scientific explanation, and there's a biblical one. And I'm going to give you both for no extra charge. So here's the scientific explanation. Um, there's been a number of experiments done over the last couple of years where they take people and, and they, they, they look at their brain activity through MRI, and they, they challenge the beliefs of these people. Uh, they challenge the beliefs that are important to these people, religious and political beliefs. And they look at what happens to the brain when those important beliefs are challenged. And what they find is this, that... Uh, when, when, when challenged about something that you believe is very important, your amygdala and other parts of the brain that deal with emotion, it gets activated. Uh, this is what a, a ticked-off brain looks like. There you go. Uh, that's, that's actually part of your reptilian brainstem, your amygdala. It, it's what sends out that fight-or-flight reflex. Uh, it's called reptilian brainstem because it's the most base part of us. This is our reptile self. This is our inner lizard, your inner alligator. And, and, and it's, it's meant to be activated only when you feel like your life is threatened. And so what these studies are showing is that the brain, when, when important beliefs get challenged, it interprets that the same way as when its life is in danger. Our brain so strongly identifies with, our, with important beliefs that it considers challenges against them as a challenge against itself. It, 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 it considers its beliefs itself. So it, it interprets uh, a challenge to a core belief um, the same way it would interpret someone running at you with a knife. And given that, it's not surprising that we have trouble talking, staying calm and talking rationally about disagreements when the, when, when there's, when the matter is really important to us. We, we get lizardly. We get alligator-like. We want to roar. Uh, now, now, so that's the scientific explanation. The question is, is, does it have to be like that? Do, we've got to, do we have to be reptiles when we, when we have disagreements? Um, and here's the thing, is that there is no scientific explanation for why we do this. There's nothing in the brain itself that explains why our reptile brainstem, our amygdala, gets activated when, when our beliefs gets, gets challenged. We just do it, but, but there's no scientific reason why. Um, and in fact, there's a little bit of evidence 
that suggests that our will can influence this. They find among, um, if a person is willing to at least consider the possibility that they're wrong, their amygdala gets much less activated, and they, they need to do more studies on this. But uh, your will has something to do with it. So it doesn't seem like we're fated to act this way. We just do. Now, the Bible gives us another explanation for this. And to see this explanation, uh, we've just got to go back to Genesis 3. We've been there a couple times in this series. The story of Adam and Eve and the story of the fall. Um, and so I'll pick the, up the story here. Adam and Eve have just eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which they were not supposed to eat from. And the Lord shows up. But uh, Adam and Eve hide, and they hide because they know they're naked. So the Lord says this, Who told you that you're naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Now, it's a straightforward question, or questions. They're the factual questions. You know, who told you this? And did you eat from that tree? You could just report who told you this, the serpent, and, 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 and confess that, that, that uh, you ate of the tree. But, and, and the Lord knows the answer to these questions, of course. But he's trying to elicit a confession out of them. Unfortunately, he doesn't get a confession. What he gets is uh, the couple starts the blame game. This is the birth of the prosecuting attorney and the defense lawyer. Uh, and, and, and so here's how they respond. The man said, well, the woman that you gave me, she gave me fruit from the tree and I ate. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent tricked me and I ate. So look what's going on here. Um, Adam, is, is, uh, he's basically blaming God and the woman. The woman that you gave me, <laughs> thanks a lot. You know, things were going fine before you pulled her out of my side, and she's been a pain in my side ever since. <laughs> if you hadn't done that, we'd be happy right now. And then Eve acts like she was just an innocent victim of a parlor trick. I got tricked. I got tricked. That's why I ate. So it doesn't take any responsibility here. So here, Adam and Eve are acting like their own defense lawyers and the prosecuting attorney. They're shifting the blame. They're pointing the finger. Uh, they're, they're not owning up to it. And what this story reveals is that when we fall under the influence of the accuser, say it's called the accuser in the Bible, when we fall under the influence of the conf confuser, we, when we believe his lies and stop trusting God for our life and for our worth and for our significance, we turn into many accusers. And now instead of living out the image of God, the image of the loving God in whose image we are actually created, we start to take on the image of the accuser, the cosmic accuser. And um, we shift the blame. Don't take responsibility. We always are looking outward, not inward. This is why, by the way, the, the, this tree is called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It, it's a tree of judgment, that phrase, knowledge of good and evil. It has a connotation of we, get to, we, 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 we know what is good and evil and we get to judge it, we get to define it. Because the truth is, when we stop getting our life and worth and significance uh, from, from God, um, well, we've got to get it from other sources. That, that need won't go away. And, and one of the primary sources humans have always used to feel significant, to feel important, to feel worthwhile, is believing that you're right, and if anyone disagrees with you, you're wrong. And you're innocent, and if anyone accuses you, well, they're, 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 they're mistaken. They're the one to blame, not you. Uh, it helps us to feel significant. To, to look at, uh, review a couple of the diagrams we've had in this series. Uh, as we said before, we're created with this God-shaped vacuum in the core of our being, our innermost self. That vacuum is our hunger for life and for worth, to feel like we're fully alive, we've got value, we're important, we're significant, we've got a purpose. Uh, and that, that need is non-negotiable. It will never go away. It's the main driving force in human existence, is hunger. And God created us with this vacuum because God wants to 
fill it. He wants to pour himself into us. That's all he wants to do. He created us so he can give himself away. He wants to pour his love into us. And that's the only thing that can really satisfy that inner hunger. And he wants to satisfy it to the point where we actually overflow with that same love towards others. That's how life is meant to be lived. This is by God's design. We're supposed to live not trying to get full, but living out of a fullness that we get for free from God. But when that gets blocked, when we believe lies about God or just are not willing to have a heart that is submitted to him, the love can't reach to us. It gets deflected. And so we have to try to meet that need from other sources. And the primary one that humans have always gone to is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, the sense that we are right, they are wrong. We are innocent, they are at fault. Uh, we, 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 we're addicted to that tree. And that's why our amygdala gets all activated. In fact, really, the MRI studies of the brain, when, when, when the scientists see that the brain is strongly identifying with its core beliefs, with its rightness, um, that, that is really simply a physical manifestation of what's going on in our soul. Our brain identifies itself with those important beliefs because our soul is now getting its identity from its rightness, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, judging that it's right. And, uh, and it's so the MRIs are simply the physical manifestation of what's going on at a soul level. We're getting life from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But all that, all of that is the result of the fall. Which means it doesn't have to be that way. It's not supposed to be that way. We're designed for it to go different. Jesus came precisely to reverse what happened with the fall. Uh, Jesus came to abolish. On the cross, he abolishes the accuser and the whole kingdom of judgment that he represents. Uh, on the cross, uh, in, in principle, the cross unemploys all defense attorneys and all prosecuting attorneys uh, that are inside of our head. Uh, on the cross... Uh, Jesus abolishes all of the false pictures of God that, that the enemies ever uh, laid on us and, and, and seduced us into believing, and he reveals the true God, praise God. And the true God that he reveals on the cross is this God of pure, self-sacrificial love, other-oriented love who simply wants to give himself away. The, the, the God he reveals on the cross is a God who's altogether trustworthy, a God who's altogether lovely, a God who's altogether beautiful, a God who's on your side even when you're not on his side, and a God who has a passionate love for you even when you don't love him back. And all this God wants to do is give himself away to you, pour his life into you to satisfy the hunger of your soul so you overflow with life towards one another. That's how it's supposed to be. Amen. And so... He's opened up the, 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 the door now for us to once again be getting life from our, the, the true source of life, which means we don't need to be living in bondage to this judgment. We don't need to be addicted to the tree of, of, of the knowledge of good and evil anymore. We don't need to uh, be trying to get life from how right we are or how innocent we are. We don't need to accuse. We don't need to, 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 to defend. We're free to just love without judgment, praise God. And that's the kingdom of God. It's the loving without judgment. It means that if you know who you are in Christ... You, you don't gain anything by being right or innocent, and you don't lose anything by being wrong or guilty. So now you can just look at the facts. It frees you to be able to look at the facts. And to unemploy your defense attorney and your prosecuting attorney, if I'm really getting my life from Christ, you, good sir, ought to be able to come up here at the end of the service and disagree with me about anything and accuse me of anything. And if I'm really getting my life from Christ, I, I, my, my, my reptile would stay asleep. Uh, my inner lizard wouldn't have to come out. I wouldn't have to say, oh, you're a, a moron. Or, or I, 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 my response would be, suppose you come up here and you say, uh, uh, Pastor Boyd, I think that you are a wrong-headed, insensitive, hypocritical heretic. 
And if I'm really getting my life from Christ, I know my response should be, is that so? Why do you think that? Because I might be. I mean, there are insensitive, hypocrite, uh, what did I say? I'm insensitive, uh, wrongheaded, insensitive, uh, hypocritical heretic. There are those people in the world, and I'm sure that they don't know it if they are that. And so I, I might be one of them. And so it's a question of fact. Is that true? If I'm getting all my life from Christ. And on the other hand, I'd also say, uh, I would encourage you to get all your life from Christ and consider the possibility that I'm not an insensitive, hypocritical heretic who's wrongheaded, uh, and maybe you are actually an oversensitive moron. <laughs> what's, good for the, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Get all your life from Christ. And, see, we, and, and your response should be, well, maybe I am. And so let's, let, let's get all the facts on the table, and we can look at that. If we're getting all our life from Christ, the reptile can stay asleep, and that's how it's supposed to be. Uh, here's a tip that I have found. I've shared this before, but a lot of people have told me it really helps, so I'm going to share it again. I have a mantra that I say. I've got a couple of them, quite a few actually, but this is one that I think I say the most. Uh, and it's simply, I remind myself that my life is Christ, nothing else really matters. My life is Christ, nothing else really matters. Let's all say it together. My life is Christ. Nothing else really matters. Let's say it again. My life is Christ. Nothing else really matters. And this is something I say to myself throughout the day. Um, when I'm on the lawn or blowing the snow or driving or whatever, you just remind yourself of this. Because I'm reminding my brain that, that it, 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 it doesn't need to and it shouldn't be identifying with beliefs that are important to me or, or with my innocence or anything. My life is in Christ. And that means really nothing else really matters in terms of who I am, in terms of my worth. In terms of my value, in terms of my, my sense of importance, in terms of my feeling loved. Uh, whatever else is in, 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 up for debate in any kind of situation, that's not on the table. And this is, this, this is so important. Because, see, the reason we get activated is because in any conflict situation, um, we're not just talking about the situation. There's something else going on, and that is we're negotiating our worth, our identity, our sense of significance. Uh, and if that's in play, you're gonna, your reptile is going to come out. Because you need, you need it too much. You need to look good. You need to look innocent. You need to be right. But if you take the worth off the table, now you can discuss the issue. And you can do it calmly because your reptile's got nothing to get all huffy-puffy about. Uh, and so I say this to myself uh, quite a bit. But especially when I'm going into situations where I know my amygdala might get triggered. If, I, if I'm going into a conflict situation, and even during the conflict situation, I'll say to myself, my life is Christ, nothing else matters. Life is Christ, nothing else matters. And that has this calming effect. That whatever else is up for, for debate here, my worth, my identity, my sense of value, it was settled 2,000 years ago on the cross. Because it ought to be the case, amen. It ought to be the case, follower of Jesus, that the, the main thing that makes you feel fully alive, the main thing that makes you feel like you, you've got worth and importance and significance, and we all need that. We desperately need it. But it ought to be the case that the main thing that, that does it for you, you get out of bed with a smile on your face, is because you know that you were worth Jesus dying for. And this is what your creator thinks about you. You've got unsurpassable worth and unsurpassable significance. And, 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 and so if that is a settled thing, then whatever else you're debating, discussing, whatever, that is not in play. And that is what allows you to stay calm about it. Okay, this is a, a kind of silly example, but it's my most recent one. And actually, it's kind of good because I find 
I bet you have too, that whether you're talking about a marriage or friendship or coworker, whatever, when you get when, when, when a relationship gets strained and there's conflict going on, often once you get over that, if you trace it back, it usually starts with something pretty stupid. <laughs> so this is a stupid illustration, but therefore it's good. Um, so here's the thing. On Christmas, I, or right around Christmas, I decided I, I'm 60 years old, and I'm going to buy myself a Christmas present. And so I bought myself a new set of drums. Check out those skins, man. Isn't that hot? That is just, I got a rack there. I don't have to use any stands. I, it, it, that is just so sweet. It's a Gretsch set. Uh, man, it makes that little set over there look kind of puny, doesn't it? No, here's the thing. I got a great deal on this. I, I, I just, the first thing I ever bought online, and I, I found this, and it was a steal. I, I, it was... It was, I don't have to justify it for you. Quit judging me. I, I, des- I deserve, I deserve it. I probably don't, but, but I, okay, so I love these drums. I, it, and it's taking my drumming to a new level, which isn't saying much at all, but, but, but it, I, 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 I practice on these whenever I can. It's just so fun. It, it's just, uh, it's a, it's a delight. So whenever I get some free time, I try to get down there. It's almost every day. Uh, just to get some playing in. So the other night, I uh, got done with my work, and I had about a half hour of free time, unscheduled space. So I'm thinking, I get to drum. And I hadn't drummed like for two days, so I was really, I had the itch. So I'm, I'm all excited. And so I, I, these are downstairs, and so I'm heading downstairs. But to get downstairs, I got to go through the kitchen. And I get to the kitchen, and there's my lovely wife, Shelly. And she goes, let's go out and get some popcorn. She loves popcorn. She, I dare say she's addicted to popcorn. Anyone know a popcorn therapist? Um, <laughs> But only one, there's a certain kind that you can only get at Whole Foods. I forget what it's called, but a certain kind. And she was out, and she wanted to get some popcorn. And so she was really excited. Let's go together and get some popcorn. And I'm going, no, no. I'm, I'm only feet away from my drums. I, I, I want to play drums. So I say to her, oh, honey, I, 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 I want to play my drums. Please. Um, you, you, can, you, can, you can go get your popcorn. Plus, it, it was like zero degrees out. It was really, who wants to suffer zero degree weather just to get some popcorn? So I'm like, I'd rather not. Uh, you go ahead. But she's like, oh, come on, come on. This will be fun. We can maybe pick up some other things and, and you know, let's just have, have a little uh, outing together. And, and she's trying to persuade me, but I hem and haw and a wiggle and a weasel. And, I, and, and finally she goes, fine. I go, okay. And I go play my drums. <laughs> she said, fine. But it's a kind of fine that means I'm not fine. <laughs> so, so I go downstairs and I play my drums and I'm happy and all that. I get done, I come up, and then we make dinner, and then we start our evening routine. We sit down and watch the news. But I notice that Shelly is unusually quiet. <laughs> and all you married folks know what that means. <laughs> you in the doghouse. <laughs> but I pretend like I don't notice. <laughs> like, you use the strategy too. Uh, maybe it'll just go away, you know? And so I'm unusually peppy and happy and everything's so normal. And what do you think about that? And then the news, I'm trying to talk or whatever, but Shelly's just quiet. So finally it gets to be so obvious that even I can't pretend anymore. So I go, honey, is there something wrong? Say no, say no, say no. <laughs> and at first she goes, I'm fine. <laughs> but this time I don't go, okay, because uh, it's obvious that she's not fine. So I say, no, really, uh, something's, something's bugging you. And I'm pretending like I don't know. Something's bugging you. What could it be? Uh, is the news upsetting you, perhaps? Because <laughs> uh, it could. <laughs> it does sometimes. Um, and, I, and so finally she says, well, I'm, I really wanted us to go out and get that popcorn. And I, I said, oh, I, I, I know you like the popcorn, but, but uh, 
uh, you said you were fine. <laughs> and, and besides, I didn't think it was that important to you. Uh, and she says, well, it's not about the popcorn. Uh, I, it's that you never do anything fun and spontaneous with me. Yeah, see, now the, the poker game, just the ante went up. Because <laughs> now we're talking about our relationship. Oh, you didn't let it go there. We had, it, it, talk about, it, it, actually, it's kind of a big part of the relationship, too. Because uh, reality is, Shelly's a people person, extrovert, and I am an uh, introvert. And, and, and her, her main love language is quality time. Uh, my, that's off my radar screen. <laughs> Tell me you like me and give me a pat on the back and I'm good. You know, it's a, let me go read. Um, so, so, you know, and, and I've noticed that if I don't have enough quality time with her, well, then things start, the ante starts to get up, and she starts to, you know, things will set her off. And I know all of this, but I don't want to spend the whole night talking about it, and I'm starting to get, I, I can feel my inner lawyer uh, starting to get, wanting to get in the game here. My reptile wanted to come out. Those, those two are synonymous. Um, and and, and it, so I, 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 part of me wanted to say, you know, turn it on her. Why do you have to make a mountain out of a molehill? You're just talking about popcorn, a little trip. And she ended up not going out on her own to get the popcorn, so now she's especially grouchy because she's got no popcorn. So, but um, why do you have to make a mountain out of a molehill? I was going, I, I, I had that fallen impulse to do that, but fortunately, I caught myself. And you can kind of train yourself to, your brain automatically, when you find yourself starting to get triggered, you just go over here and I start saying, my life is Christ. Nothing else matters. My life is Christ. Nothing else matters. Whatever else this debate's going to be about, I know who I am in Christ and my value settled and my worth and all that. And I, I, so I'm saying this, and I start to calm down. And see, once you can calm down, your prefrontal lobe cortex starts working again. That's, that's all, all your rational thinking. And, and it, it frees you to be able to look honestly at things because your worth isn't at, at stake here. And so... I ask this question, this is the most important question for you to ask yourself in a conflict situation, and it is this. Are they right? Uh, what is true here? What is true here? And it empowers you to now look inward rather than just looking outward in an accusatory manner. Uh, what's true here? And what's true is actually pretty ugly. Because what's true is that I had been not only a selfish husband, but I had been a, uh, a dishonest one. I was dishonest. I was lying. I, I, I knew that the first fine wasn't a, really a fine. I, I, I knew. I just pretended like she, she meant she was fine because I wanted to go play drums. And I knew it wasn't about the popcorn. I knew it was about, about us having some time together and going on a little adventure. And the spontaneity is an important part of it to her. Are you willing to break up your schedule for me? And the truth is, is that I usually am not. Uh, I, 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 I don't know if it's my wiring or whatever, but I fill my day with things that I'm passionate about, and, and i got to get to it. And I go from one thing to the other, and I don't leave room for, much room for flexibility. And, and, and so she often will spring something on me, and it's like, no, I've got this to do. And, and, and I knew this. Uh, but I pretended like I didn't, and that's dishonest. I, I was lying. Um, but see, I, I can admit, I mean, I, I suck, I'm terrible. I'm just, I'm loathsome, I'm scum. Why do you even listen to me? My gosh, I'm a dishonest, I'm a dishonest, lying, selfish husband. But, okay, that, and that, that was terrible, and when I look at it, yeah, it's terrible. But I can look at that, and I can confess it, I can confess it to her, I can confess it to you, because whatever else is in play here, my worth is not. 
I, I know who I am in Christ. I know what's settled. I know I've got this, this value. And it's not affected. Amen. It's not affected by whether I'm terrible or not. Whether I'm, I, I am the great husband or not so great husband, I know that it doesn't tarnish my inner being. It doesn't tarnish my identity. It doesn't, it doesn't at all qualify God's love for me or my value for him. It doesn't stop God from pouring his love into me. And, and, it, and that's what gives me the great hope, in fact, the certainty that, that maybe tomorrow I'll be less dishonest and, and, and less selfish because God's, God's still working on me. I'm a work in progress. And the same is true about you, so don't judge me. Uh, <laughs> we're works in progress here. And, and it, it's, it's getting the love in the condition that we're at that begins to transform our condition. But see, to get there, you got to get honest. And to get honest, you got to get your life from Christ. As long as we've got a, a, a biased, vested interest in looking right and in being innocent, we can never get honest with ourselves. We'll always instinctively deflect on, on others. Only if you're okay, your inner self is okay and solid, even though you're terrible, only then can you admit you're terrible, and only then can you start to, to be less terrible. Amen. Amen. The love comes up front. The love comes up front. So, folks, um, I encourage you to be saying to yourself, all the time, something like that, doesn't be these exact words, but my life is Christ, nothing else matters. Uh, always be reminding your brain about what is true, what, what, what your source of life is. So you're not clinging to other things like your innocence or your rightness as a way of feeling like you're the person who knows, you're the person who's got it together, you're the blah, 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 blah. No, that, that, that simply pollutes your brain. Life is Christ, nothing else matters. And, and say that especially, something like that, when you're heading into conflict situations. You, 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 and, and keep on saying it as you're in the conflict situation. Once you get triggered, once your amygdala gets activated, it's too late. Uh, at that point, the best thing you can do, if two people are reptiles and they're biting each other, the best thing you can do is take a 20-minute break because it takes 20 minutes to detox. Your amygdala sends out all these chemicals into your body that makes you want to fight, fight, fight or flee. Um, and it takes about 20 minutes to detox from that. But it only works if you're not thinking about the fight. If you, if you keep thinking about a fight, it might get worse. You're still feeding yourself chemicals. So go and, 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 and read something or watch something or get distracted and then come back when you're humans again and, and try talking about it rationally. My life is Christ, nothing else matters. Secondly, I encourage us, as I always do, I know I'm redundant on this, but it's, it's such a central point. Make space in your life to have quality time with God. Uh, quality time is God's love language. How's that? Where you just sit with God and let him do what he wants to do, and that is to pour his love on you. Where you just drink deeply from that infinite, unending well of worth and significance. Uh, have times where you, you just, I like to just turn off the lights and, and, and put on some background music, some soundtracks, because that kind of helps imagination and loosens you up. And then just ask the Spirit to bring you Jesus. That's his job in the New Testament. He points us to Jesus, to, to really see the real Jesus. And open up your, your inner sanctuary, your, your, your imagination to have encounters with Jesus. And, and he says, all things he says about you in Scripture, he now says to you. And, and, and it's concrete and it's vivid. Uh, see him, hear him, sense him as he's looking into your eyes and saying how much he loves you and, and what you're worth and all of that. And just drink deeply in that. And whatever else happens in your time with him, you know, go places with him, however, whatever happens. But those, see, it's, it's, it's when, it's the, when truth gets incarnate, when it gets in concrete, when we can see it and sense it and taste it, that's when it begins to really impact our inner being. If you want help on that, I have a book out there called Seeing is Believing, uh, the power of imaginative prayer that can uh, really help with that. Because it's so that's the fuel the kingdom runs on. You've got to be getting it if you're going to be dispensing it. 
And you've got to be getting it if you're going to set aside your defense lawyer and your prosecuting attorney. So have quality time. And the final thing is, is this. Um, as you're getting your life from Christ and you are in a conflict situation, the first thing to do is not to accuse, um, but to look inward. Move in. Move inside. And ask the question, which you can now ask honestly, because, you know, your worth isn't at stake. Ask the question, what, how have I contributed to this strained relationship? How have I contributed to this, this breakdown? And it may not be something that's obvious. The way I contributed to our conflict was, had to do with maybe the last three months, not having enough quality time. That was part of this. And, and so look inside, honestly, and uh, then whatever you see there, confess. Confess. Uh, see, what that does, when you're in a conflict and you accuse, you have a person in the corner. You're trying to checkmate them. You're trying to get them to cry uncle. But that just calls out their defense lawyer. That just activates their, their, their lizard. Uh, and it's not likely to go anywhere after that. But when you confess, that's a kind of an invitation. Um, you're coming under, not over. And, and so by confessing, you're opening the door for them to do the same thing. Uh, now, there's no guarantee that they will, but it's much more likely than if you come in in an accusation mode. Ask the question, how have I contributed to this? And try to see it from their perspective. Like, if you were them, what would you be seeing here? And so how might you have contributed from their perspective? And then confess that. Uh, that's the way to bring reconciliation. Now, now you can just talk about what the issue is. Uh, talk about the facts. And, and own what is yours. Um, and that's what brings harmony. So Shelly and I were able to work through it. We're not going to get a divorce because I didn't go out with popcorn. Hallelujah. <laughs> Marriage saved another day. No, in fact, we worked it through it really, really easily. It, 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 and it was, once we got over this, and I admitted how terrible I was, um, yeah, it, it's just a thing in the past. I actually had to go to her and say, help me remember, because I didn't remember all the details of it. What were we fighting about the other night? And she goes, it was popcorn. <laughs> uh, like I said, it usually starts stupid, but it grows into something much uglier if you let it. But you can just keep it at a small level if you're willing to be honest. You'll get all your life from Christ. All your life from Christ all the time, especially in conflict situations. Okay, would you stand? I like to call the prayer teams up here. And if you're here this morning and have any need whatsoever that you could use prayer, um, and maybe you, there's some couples who want to come forward on this. Uh, there was last service. This is an issue. This is an issue. Uh, or friends who want to come forward on this because you're fighting. But um, uh, whatever the need is, uh, come up and, and let these people minister to you. And uh, uh, if you're here this morning and you're not a, yet a surrendered follower of Jesus, I encourage you to consider becoming one. And to find out what that's about, come up here, talk to these folks, and they'd love to explain that to you. So as we leave here, can we do it as the people who are committed to getting all of our life, our worth, our identity, our significance, our sense of importance, and our security from what God thinks about us as was revealed on Calvary, and can we do it as a humble people who are willing to look inward before we look outward and to confess the wrongs that we have done? And can we be a people who want the Patriots to lose today? If you're a good, say amen. Go out and love on the world. God bless you guys. See you next week.